This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Welcome everybody. Thank you all for joining. So tonight we are learning Lelulishmat Avram ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechaskel ben Avraham. So the um, this is a partially a continuation from from uh, last week. Uh, so so just to give. Uh, not even a full recap, like a very, very brief recap of what was spoken of last uh, last week was we were speaking about self-judgment is really what we focused on. Yeah. Now, the, the, the goal or, or better yet, the intent of, of what we wanted to speak about was really the judgment of judges judging. And in order for... I guess I'll explain it the same way I explained the last time. We, we tend to not participate, listen, or care if something we don't feel is something so applicable to us, which is a problem because sometimes you need to hear something, but you kind of zone out or you know, you're not interested in the class topic, so you don't click on it, or you're not interested in the safer or book and you don't read it, and or this article, and it's really you know beneficial for you, but we feel like, okay, you know, it doesn't really talk to us. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes if you're in a... Uh, I don't know, in a, a finance business and you see a health article that has no relation to your personal health, just a, why would you read it? But when it, become, when it comes to Torah, there is nothing that we could say that it's not something that we need or something that we need to learn and something we need to hear. So the problem arises is when we come across a topic or a situation where we feel like it's not we don't really need it. So we tend to tune out. And it's very unfortunate because the whole space out game uh, is is we, we kind of miss out on a lot of things in life during this uh, um, hiatus that we uh, kind of take on ourselves. So to try to avoid that, we started off speaking about personal judgment. And what I mean by personal judgment is, is the judgments that we constantly make as people. Like we don't have to be a judge, just generalizing any single person is in a, on a constant basis is judging constantly and in fact many times continuously throughout the day whether it's themselves or whether it's other they're judging others so the reason why we started with that is that oh wait you know i do that i judge myself i look at others i you know have thoughts about others so then you know let me let me pay attention to it but really what we were trying to get to is when you judge others and the reason why it's related is because judgment is judgment and whether it's to judging ourselves or whether it's judging other people, there are very, very important implications, which again, we're not going to be speaking about all of them, but one focus we will be uh, speaking about then, and that's what the Mishnah in Perkei Elva speaks about, having Misunim Badin, be deliberate in judgment, or better yet, be more of a, like, uh, um, you know, patient in, in your judgment. So now, with that being said, you know, when... Sometimes you have a, a scenario or a case or, or let's say even if it's, if it's a judge where they have, you know, seen a case and they've come to a conclusion or you have come to a conclusion in this case. Let's say, let's say Reuven owes Shimon money and you're the judge and you hear the entire scenario and you come to the conclusion that yes, Reuven owes Shimon money. You've uh, done this case a hundred times. You're aware of this situation and you do that. But then what happens if you 
gain, get miss or find out one small detail. Sometimes that one small detail would show that really Reuven doesn't owe Shimon money, but really Shimon owes Reuven money. And meaning that, that even if you're used to the subject, and even if you're used to the scenario, there are many times where one small detail of that scenario changes the entire verdict of the entire thing. Now, Keep this in mind. Even if we're speaking about judges, this is also with your own personal judgment. Judgment that you make on yourself, a judgment you make on other people. And just to give you an example of, of such a scenario, where we can, we can judge ourselves. And uh, we can say, oh, you know, we had a bad day, we had a good day, depending on your, uh, you know, on, on how you judge yourself, whether it's for the good, whether for the bad, uh, which is both is appropriate. But you could, let's say, you could think of yourself as having a terrible day. And uh, the you're judging yourself from, from your own, you know, lenses. But let's say somebody else looks at you and be like, wow, look at this person. This person didn't have a good sleep last night. This person is sick. This person is, and, and the list goes on and on. And even that, they were still able to pray. They were still able to go out. They were still able to work. And in another person's eye, it could be like such a successful day. And in your eyes, it'll be like such a, you know, a failed day. So what was the difference? Maybe you were sick. Maybe you weren't, you know, fully, you know, whatever. You didn't sleep enough. You had, you know, a bad, you know, interaction with a uh, employee or employer. Whatever it is that, that just like threw you off your game. And we sometimes come to the conclusion that it was a failed job. It was a failed day. It was a failed situation where at many times maybe it is a really successful job, a really successful, you know, day. And the flip side, some days you could come and be like, wow, that was an amazing successful day. And really it was a pretty bad failure. You had so much going for you. You could have accomplished so much more and you only accomplished so much. So Meaning that we come to certain conclusions, but sometimes we miss a detail, whether it's consciously, unconsciously, on purpose, not on purpose, and that changes the entire, the entire scenario. So when someone is judging a case, when a judge is judging a case, there's so many times that one detail can change the verdict to this guy being guilty and this guy being innocent. Uh, and, and this, by the way, goes to, uh, you know, anybody who asks a rabbi a halacha question. Sometimes you ask a question, and the rabbi is familiar. Most questions that people, that people ask is generally repeat questions. They're ge- that most of the questions are not, you know, the original questions. So, the, you know, the rabbi has already, but within the first, like, you know, few sentences, the rabbi already knows where it's going, and the rabbi already has an answer in his head. However, sometimes there's one detail that changes the entire, the entire answer. And I can tell you that, you know, personally, when I've spoken to people and, you know, they've started the conversation, I know where it's going and I know where the answer is going to be. And then they throw in a detail that they would think it was insignificant, where it turns out that my answer would have been a like it's a 180 degree turn. It's a, it's a, you know, a full, you know, complete different outcome to what you said because it was an insignificant detail to you and you kind of messed you know you know mentioned it and sometimes people don't mention and that's why you know people have to start digging rabbis judges whatever it is if someone you're asking advice to start digging into try to get a little bit more details because sometimes what you think is insignificant can be a really significant detail so what we're, we're trying to bring out over here is that we can come to a conclusion that we think is really right, but it's really so wrong because we missed a particular, a particular detail. Now, this is what the Mishnah is telling us. Have been by then, telling the judges and ourselves and each and every single one of us that when we judge, whether it's ourselves or somebody else, if you're missing just one part of that detail, of that scenario, of that person, of that person's life, 
you could come to such a wrong conclusion. You could look at a person and say that person is a bad person for because they did X, Y, and Z. But you don't know that if they would have given you one other detail, it would have changed the, the thing completely. And I, I, I don't want to give too much of, of, you know, like, like cases, but like, you know, like, let's say, for example, a little bit of a broader case, that's so we don't get too particular, where, um, uh, you know, I, with a group of other people, were dealing with a particular person. And uh, this person was not an easy person to deal with, uh, was causing a lot of, a lot of issues. And I've noticed that people were getting a little bit antsy on this person. And um, I didn't mention because I, I wasn't one hundred percent sure. Later, I found out to be true. I was like, I was, ta- I was, I was speaking to not all of them, but a bunch of them. And I said, you, you know, why are we getting so upset with this person? We don't know what's going. Maybe this person has a background or a history. Uh, like, let's just leave it as a very, very difficult history. And, uh, you know, the people were like, okay, fine, maybe you're right. And then they started thinking about it and I started painting the picture. They were like, you know what? In that case, it's not so bad. Later, it turned out that everything that I was saying as a probability turned out to be an actuality. It actually was, uh, you know, one of the, of the reasons. So meaning that you look at a person, you're dealing with a person. The person's a difficult person. The person's an annoying person. The person's hard to deal with. And then you find out certain scenarios and you'd be like, you know what? I don't blame this person. This person is not like like being the situation that he or she was put in. How can I blame it? So this is how important it is to be deliberate to, to, in our judgment because we never know. We never know where one detail can change the entire the entire outcome of the of the verdict. Whether it's in our own personal minds, whether it's something that we're judging other people as a let's say a legal system, it doesn't matter. All we have to know that if we don't, if we're missing something, it could change the entire verdict. And this, this is why the mission is telling us be very meticulous. Be very, very meticulous. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 7b, tells us that a judge should not or is not allowed to listen to the argument of one side when the other side is not present. So one of the reasons behind it is, is that let's say you hear, I, I don't know if anybody here, I, I'm sure most of you have dealt with a situation where there was some sort of disagreement and you heard at least one side of that disagreement. So once you hear one side of that disagreement, that all of a sudden starts festering, you know, and, and kind of growing in your mind and it sort of metamorphoses into a conclusion that you make. Now, of course, we know that whenever we are dealing with a argument or a disagreement, there's always three sides to the story. There is one side and the other side and then the actual side, right? Because everybody sees things from their own perspective, from their own lenses, from their own mindset. And one person will ex- will, will, will uh, tr- try to explain the scenario and honestly and truthfully as possible. And it will come to, you'll come to a conclusion where, let's say, a conclusion A. Then you listen to the exact scenario from the lens of person B. And now you're going to come to a conclusion B, which is not the same as your first conclusion. Which really, if this scenario, you know, it, it presents itself to you, you should come with the same conclusion wherever, whichever angle you see it. Math and math is math, right? One plus one, whichever angle you're going in it, backwards and forwards, it's going to be the same number. So the same thing when we come to a verdict, it should be from every angle. But once you start hearing something, it starts growing inside you and you come to your own conclusion. If someone's a sweet talker, if someone's able to present things in a nice way, if someone's able to manipulate things a little bit, uh, you know, old politicians, they know how to argue, they know how to debate, they know how to switch things around, they know how to word certain things that will make you side with them, even though they might not be the better candidate for the job, but they know how to say the right things at the right time. 
So when a judge is sitting over here, when you're sitting in a, a scenario and you're looking at two, two options and you're trying to figure it out, if you start listening to one option way before the other one or not at the same time the other one, it will start growing inside of you and you'll come, you'll, you'll start to get to some sort of bias. So the Gemara tells us that we have, if, if a judge is sitting and, and judging a case, they have to go and they have to listen to both, both arguments at the same, uh, you know, at the same time. The, you know, Raf Pam takes us a step further and, and, you know, this Mishnah says that the reason why many people make mistakes in, let's say, halakhic, whatever, whatever it is in their doing, and, and especially in their judgment, is because they lack something called sablanus. Sablanus is patience. They lack patience. They, and unfortunately, Raf Pam goes on and says that they fail to realize that one of the main qualifications, the main qualifications of a rabbi, a poseg, a leader, uh, you know, and this goes to, to any aspect of leadership. Every single person here is a leader in one way or another in their own life. One of the most important or main Qualifications of a leader is patience. The need for the need for patience, we can see it in, in you know in raising kids, uh, in in work, in relationships. There's always these aspects of a, of a of a leadership role that you take in one form or another, and patience is of vital vital importance. Even patience before you speak, even if you're not a leader, just patience before you speak. You know, the Pelayotz, uh, brings a quote, the Sefer Hasidim, and, and says something so interesting. They should make this into like a bumper sticker. Until you speak, speech is your prisoner. After you speak, you are its prisoner. Meaning that before, let me repeat that because it's just such a good line. Until you speak, speech is your prisoner. After you speak, you are its prisoner. Meaning that before you start talking, you control what you're going to say. Once you said it already, once it's out there, that's it. Now you're a prisoner to that. And now you have to just kind of either justify, apologize, go, you know, uh, you know, try to prove your point. You have to go through. It's out there. Now you have to figure out how I'm going to deal with that. Now you're the prisoner as opposed to the prisoner. Meaning that how careful we have to be before we say something. How careful we have to be before how much important it is to have patience before you speak. You know, the, the, the idea of patience applies on every level of education, every level of learning. We are constantly, you know, we should be on uh, a learning or a growth oriented, whether it's through our jobs or whether it's through our personal relationships, whether it's through our knowledge of the Torah, which it always be, obviously, uh, whether it's our self-improvement. We have so many different areas of of learning that we're doing it, patience is of one of the utmost importance for that. So let's say, for example, uh, a rabbi, a parent, they see, they recognize something wrong with uh, one of their students, one of their children. So they go and they deliver, they, they, they prepare a speech that they're going to give the child or the class. And they prepare this amazing, amazing, passionate speech that they figure after this, that's it, everybody's changing their life. Everybody's going to change their life for the better. And uh, they give this whole speech and it's everything is excellent. Amazing delivery. The people there were very accepting of it. They internalized it. The, the speaker saw that they he hit the heart. And then this speaker, the rabbi, the parent, they see that the people, you know, like the next day they're doing the same exact thing. They haven't really changed. And the answer is where you would might think that you failed in your, you know, attempt to change people. And the answer is no, not really. You, you're not necessarily faint. Things 
you have to be patient. There are, most things in life are in incremental changes. Very, very small, minor improvements is where they happen. Hearing a speech or two does not usually change a person's life. And this is especially important with, for Kirov. You know, like people in the Kirov world <clears throat> need to realize that it, you're going to try to convince somebody to keep Shabbos and it doesn't work. So you think that you failed. And it, it's the furthest from the truth. Every little thing that you discuss, that you speak, that you try to, you know, impress on, that you try to motivate people, and it doesn't work right away. It doesn't mean that you failed. You planted something inside. And slowly, slowly that thing grows, and hopefully it will keep on getting nurtured by more lectures, more comments, more improvements, and, and then the change, the change will come. You know, there, there are so many people that I speak to, especially if they're trying to be Makar, if they're trying to bring someone closer to Judaism, or maybe they're trying to uh, bring someone closer, you know, to therapy. And they're like, this person is so adamant, they're never going to change. And what is the point of even speaking to them? What is the point of even trying? And I, I always try to convince them, no, it's never always try. You don't know the effect that you have, even if somebody looks like they get, they have given up. Even if it, even if it appears that your words have absolutely no effect to them, you have no idea the effect that's brewing inside. And you, it might be right. It might be the thing that you said that day, or the speech, or the thing that they listened to has very little effect to them. But over time, the more that they they you, they hear about it, the more that they see this, the more that they grow from this, that will you know eventually produce a a, a change. So meaning that in anything in education, in growth-oriented, in change, patience is of utmost importance, and you need the patience. And there are many people, and, and this is also very true, by the way, in people that have sales jobs. People that have sales jobs, if they don't have the patience, there's obviously other qualifications that is needed, but if they don't have the patience for, uh, you know, for the, they, they don't last in it. And that's why you see a lot of people, they they. They go to different jobs and they don't last. They last, you know, maybe a, a month or two and then they, whatever, and then they bounce and then they leave. And one of the reasons, some of the reasons are it's not meant for them and they realize it and that's rightfully so that they left. But other times they were like, okay, wait a minute. I've tried this, uh, you know, uh, business opportunity. It didn't work. I tried it for like a few weeks or a few months even. It didn't work. I and mean, let me try something else. And then sometimes it's just a lack of patience, instant gratification. We want something so quickly. There is the a Gemara that relates a story with Rav Preda. Rav Preda had a certain student, and, and there's like so many lessons you can learn from this story. It's crazy. Rav Preda had a certain student that he would have to teach over and over again until the student would be able to comprehend, to understand what the rabbi was speaking. Now, before I tell you the amount of times, just try to picture yourself like... Imagine you have to present some sort of information, even if you're not a teacher, you're not a rabbi, you're not whatever. You just have to present, you have to train somebody on something, whatever it is. It could be something you're good at, something you're not good at. You just have to train someone on on it. How many times are you going to go until you're like, you know what? It's not working. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, it's not you. It's me. Whatever it is that you're going to be saying, and you just stop it. Let's say you try to train someone and you try 10 times. That's like, that's like a, a very high number, right? Like after like three, four times, if someone doesn't get something, you start saying, okay, you know what? Maybe somebody else is more equipped to deal with this than me. But imagine you do it 10 times and then you, you know, you go to your, your boss or whatever it is that you're saying, so listen, I, I taught this, I tried teaching this person this, this task 10 times. They couldn't get it. I don't know if they're right for the job. I don't know if I'm right for the job. Maybe you should find somebody else. And the boss will be like, wow, 10 times. That, that's a lot of times. And you start thinking, you say, you know what? Let me give it another shot. 
and you go and you spend other more additional hours and you do another 10 times. So you came for a total of 20 times that you tried to train somebody on something and it was not successful. At this point, you're like, you know, would anybody expect you to, to even try more? It'll be like, no, you're wasting your time. Why would you 20 times? You know how much 20 times is to teach someone the same thing? We're afraid to have a certain student listen to this that you would have to teach 400 times. Not like one thing. Everything that he taught the student, 400 times. And he didn't give up. He taught the student 400 times the lesson. One day, he's middle of teaching the student, you know, uh, you know, I don't know what number he was up to, but he was teaching into in, in the 400 times. And uh, they uh, requested from Rab Preda, there was a certain mitzvah matter situation that they needed Rab, the rabbi's presence after the lesson. And Rab Preda said, fine, let me, you know, he was dealing with this boy, he was teaching this boy, for or this man boy, 400 times. And he says, after I finish this, I'll come to you. He went and he taught this person 400 times a lesson. Now, afterwards, um, he he saw that the student did not grasp the material. And he said, you know, what's going on? Usually 400 times you get it. And the student responded. He says, you know, like once they came and they said that they need you for a certain mitzvah matter, you know, like they needed you for something after the, after the lessons, I couldn't concentrate. And like, I, I was just always nervous. You're going to leave and, you know, and I couldn't concentrate. So I, I knew you were, you might be leaving at any more time. So all that 400 times just went, you know, in one, in one ear, out the other. So what would most people do in that situation? Be like, okay, 400 times, like you can't expect me to do it, you know, anymore. Like for what, can you really expect anything more after 400? Can you really expect anything more after 20? And, uh, he went to this rabbi and he <coughs> taught him. An additional 400 times, meaning for a total of 800 times. Says that situation that I have to go to, that can wait. Let me do this. And he went and he, and he taught him another 400 times. After this, a baskal, a divine voice emerged from heaven and they gave the, this rabbi, because of this amazing deed that he did, he gave him two options. Option number one, you're going to have 400 years added to your life. You're going to live an exceptionally long life. Option number two, you and your entire generation will merit Olam Haba, to go to Olam Haba. Which one do you decide? And uh, um, Rav Prada said, I decide that me and my entire generation should go to Olam Haba. And the Gemara finishes off that they ended up giving him both. His entire generation went to Olam Haba, and he merited to live an exceptionally long, uh, exceptional long life. Now, if we start to analyze this for just a moment, we look at this story. You had here a rabbi, and this is a rabbi that's mentioned in the Gemara. This is not a rabbi that didn't have other things to do and be like, you know what, let's just, you know, nothing else going on. Let me, if he's mentioned in the Gemara, there is, this, this is a rabbi of, like, we can't even begin to imagine how high of a level this rabbi is. Now, you're talking about a high level rabbi that's dealing with somebody who is having a very, very difficult time to learn. Now, the rabbi could have said, okay, listen, you know, I'm sure he had a shul, uh, a congregation, students, that he could have said, okay, you go learn with him, and, you know, train him, you know, and speak to him. Yet this rabbi did not. This rabbi went by himself and he spent 400 times teaching someone something. And even if it's just a one sentence, can you imagine how much, how, it's not even about the patience. It's about that, you know, that, that's, 
I don't even know the right word, where, where you have the ability to sit and repeat something so many times to somebody else, even if it's one sentence, is is almost like unheard. It's like inhumane. Like it's such a high level of 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 achievement that a person has to be able to reach to. And this is a rabbi that had the abilities to give it to somebody else, but yet he chose to do it himself. And not only that, he didn't get upset. You realize, you wouldn't be like, are you kidding me? For, I, I spent so much time teaching you and you're not listening. You know, you, you, there's so many things I could have said to be like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. He didn't say a single thing. You're talking about patience. I don't know if there's anything else that's a higher level of patience than this. 400 times, the guy didn't understand it. Start from scratch. Let's do it again. Let's make sure that you get it. That, thank you, endurance. <laughs> that's a good word. The, the, the endurance that this rabbi would have to have, the, the, Self-restraint also on, on not getting upset and just keep on going and, and continuing. Imagine we have not, uh, you know, like a percent, a percent of that, uh, of that power, a percent of that power. Now you should know that this principle is not only in, you know, when, when you're, judging someone or, or when you're teaching someone even even if let's say you know uh uh let me give you let me give you from from this example let's say someone like like me right so I'm we're giving a class if i don't prepare the information if i don't spend a lot of time preparing the information it's, you know, people are not going to really understand it. It's going to be a very superficial class. It's going to be like, you know, like you're not going to grasp it. And, and you might think it's your fault, but really it, it would be my fault. When, when anybody goes and wants to know a certain topic, you really have to delve into that topic. Doing a super, superficial learning is nice, but you don't get to the crux of that topic. You don't understand it. If you want to, and, and I, I take this, you know, like th- this is something that I take very, very seriously that if I try or am I teaching a topic, I, you know, go in depth in uh, in that topic. And, uh, j- you know, just for example, I-, I believe this is the fifth class on Perkei Avos. We didn't even we didn't even complete the first Mishnah of that because there's so much to learn. And, and if you just go through it just superficially and many of you have. How much of that information was retained? How much of that information did you understand? Or even better yet, how much of that information did you internalize and change your life for the better? So the more that a teacher is going is, is going to prepare, the more that a teacher goes and and re, re- learns it and repeats it and 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 chazers it, the more that they go over it, the more that they understand it, the more that they or the easier that you're going to be able to go and understand it, the easier that you're going to be able to go and receive it. When we have to be deliberate in judgment, that's also when we teach. That is also when we study. If you. Even from your perspective, so you're listening to this class now, how much of that information did you retain? Did you retain anything? Did, you know, what was the, now you could go and, and, you know, teach things in a superficial way. You could also listen to things in a superficial way. And there are many times where we can, and I've said this before, where you could hear a class and you could come to a certain conclusion. Then you hear it again. You'd be like, wait a minute. I had, 
I had no idea this is what the, this speaker was speaking about completely else. I took a completely different lesson out of it. And the more that you listen, the more that you're able to actually take away and you're able to, to sort of, you know, grasp. And I, I don't want to name certain speakers, but like there's a certain speaker and, and it's a good thing, not a bad thing. There's a certain speaker that if you listen to his classes, it, it, Shirim, it appears that it's, he's a very popular speaker. <laughs> um, it appears like he's maybe saying a bunch of little tidbits, maybe, a, a, you know, like a, a light, nice little story here, nice little story there. But if you really focus on the classes, you realize that everything is connected to everything else. And it's actually really deep. And I think that's a genius. <coughs> Excuse me. That's a genius level where you're able to go and present information that someone on a superficial level can be like, this is nice, this is nice. And then someone who's really focusing would be able to see how it all ties in together. So when you're learning, when you're studying, you also have to be deliberate in what you do. And part of it is patience. People don't have patience. And this is why, uh, you know, like a, a lot of things that, that we do is through series. And people don't have, once we get it to like number 20, number 25, they're like, oh, we're still on this series. Come on, let's do something else. And really, those people, it's all about the entertainment factor. It's not about the learning. It's not about they, they want to be entertained and they're bored and they want to go, you know, you got to get the newest lease. And well, what else? Well, what else is there? But in reality, if you really want to learn something you have to delve into it to the to the most deepest level the <clears throat> torah the the, the mission actually one of the missions in perky elvis tells, says it's in the last chapter of perky elvis tells us the 48 things to acquire torah and one of the things to acquire torah is patience because you have many people that just go through everything they went through schooling they went through the yeshivas and yet they come out knowing almost nothing why? A lot of them, they have no patience. They, they want to go to the next thing. They want to go to the next thing. And sometimes it's good and sometimes you do need to move on to the next thing. But if you're going out of school, of learning, of a seder, you're sitting and you're listening to class and you don't, and you don't actualize or remember anything or, or realize, that's because you did things in a very superficial level. If you would have the patience to really focus on something, then you will know something. And, and I have to tell you, you know, like whenever I give a class on a certain topic and especially when it's a series, I learned that more than I knew that before because I'm preparing for the classes. So I'm learning all, all sources. If I didn't have patience, I would have been able to hit out one series after another series after another series and just keep on going. But I feel, well, maybe it's not patience. Maybe I just don't feel like the readiness to do it is because I need to learn more about it. I need to focus more about it. I need, I need to, I need to open another safer on it. I don't understand it. I, and, and you need to keep on tackling it. And that's the only way that you're going to be successful in something. You have to have that patience. You have to have that ability to go, okay, it's it's one step at a time and now I, let me keep on going in the same thing that I'm looking at, the same topic and the same thing, let me keep on going into it. The Gemara and Erevin page 54b tells us on how the how, how Moshe taught Torah to entire Klal Israel. So we know that Moshe had been who learned the Torah from HaKadosh Baruch from God and then Moshe had his, his tent Aaron HaKohen, his brother, entered the tent, and Moshe taught Aaron the entire Torah, or let's just, what, the Torah. And then what happened was, is Aaron moved to the side, and then, what, who, the, then Elazar and Isamar, the sons of Aaron, they came in the tent, and now Moshe repeated and retaught the Torah to Elazar and Isamar, while Aaron was still there. Then Elazar and Isamar moved to the side, 
and really it was really Elazar on the right and and uh, some are on the and some are on the, on the left. And then the Zakanim, the elders, entered, and Moshe taught them their portion. So at, if we stop the the scenario at this point in time, that means that Aaron learned four times, his sons three times, the Zakanim twice, and then all the people once. Meaning, so it started off with Aaron. Then Aaron moved on the side. His sons came in. After his sons moved on this, uh, moved on the side, and then the Zakanim came in. After the Zakanim came in, then all the people came in. And so you have over here that that Aaron learned it four times. His sons learned it three times. The Zakanim learned it twice. The people learned it once. Then what happened? Moshe left, and then Aaron taught. He heard it already four times. He taught it to everybody who was staying. Then Aaron left, and his sons taught it. Because now they heard it four times to everybody else, and then they left. And then the Zakanim went, and they taught it, and uh, you know, to the people. And now everybody learned the entire Torah four times. So from this, the Gemara learns out that when you want to learn something, you have to learn it minimum four times. Four times when you have to, to you know, learn a subject. And, uh, you know, so for speakers, it's easy because they need to learn it at least four times in order to be ready to, to say something. But what happens for people that are non-speakers, people that are, do not have to provide this information over, right? Let's say you're sitting to a certain class. Let's say you're looking at some sort of self-improvement. You're listening to a Mido's class or whatever it is that you're listening to and you want to grow. And if you want it to really resonate within you, you have to review that information four times. Maybe you don't have to listen to that class four times, but you have to take some notes and review those notes four times, review that information four times. You're learning the safer. You want to internalize it. Review it four times if you want to be able to internalize it at least four times. Now, there's a saying that patience is a uh, is a virtue. Um, I don't know if that patience is a well. That, that literally means that it's a good quality to have patience to be able to tolerate something that takes a really long time to uh, uh, to acquire to do. Uh, I don't know if patience is a virtue or, or pace, patience is a necessity. If we want to be successful in life, you have to have patience. Whether it's business and investments, stock markets, you have to have, be patient to that. Yeah, you know, raising children, you have to be very patient. Relationships, oh, patience is <laughs> is of utmost importance. So. So we see over here that patience has such a strong outcome of our personal life. The flip side of where we can jump to conclusions and not be deliberate in judgment. I hope you guys could all you know understand the, the connection of what being deliberate in judgment and judging people and the patience, right? So if we did, and this is something we spoke about last week, that. Of course, it's best not to judge anybody. But if you are going to judge somebody for whatever reason, do it slowly, right? Do it in a slow manner, in a very, very patient manner. Be deliberate in what you're doing because your outcomes are going to be very, very different. Now, what can cause someone to be not deliberate in in, uh, um, in judgment or, deli- or or patience in that matter is panic. When we start panicking, when we start getting anxiety, we have to do things quickly. We have to feel like we, oh, we're nervous. We have to do something, something quickly. Many times, not all the times, many times, once we do something quickly, it doesn't end in the most successful way. It doesn't always fail, but it doesn't always produce the most successful outcome. So we have this kind of a balance that we have to have. Sometimes we have to go fast because sometimes we're procrastinating and that's not the right thing to do. Sometimes we have to slow down because we're panicking. We have anxiety. We have to just, we just want to jump to it, towards it. We have to find that right balance. 
to have healthy balance and everything in life is all about the balance. We have to figure out what the balance is, right? There's a balance of having a good time. There's a balance of, 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 of doing what you need to do. There is a balance of eating the right amount. There's a balance of exercising the right amount. There's a balance of sleeping the right amount. Everything in life is all about, you know, the balance. So the sweet spot, let's just call it, is something that we have to really think about, like what is the right amount that we have to... And, and if you think about your own personal life, you'll realize that in certain scenarios or certain situations, or maybe I could say certain topics, whether it's children, one topic, uh, relationships, another topic, you may have more patience in one topic and not in another topic, another area in your life. A topic I'm just using as, a, as an area in your life. Um, this is something that you have to realize that this is something that I need to work on. Because once we realize... The reason why I'm presenting it this way is that we don't always realize we have a problem. But once we see where we excel in one area, and wait a minute, I don't excel in this area the same way over here, so maybe I need to focus something over here. And just to give you an example on a different wavelength, let's say in Imuna. So some people have a very, very high level of Imuna when it comes to dating. They don't have to let my spouse knock on my door whenever they're ready to get married. I don't have to chase anybody. But when it comes to business, they're hustling and bustling and they're knocking on doors and they're they're making phone calls and they're sending emails and they don't stop nonstop. So when you think about it, well, wait a minute, where's your imuna hishtablus? You know, where's your imuna and effort? You know, uh, you know, situation like where's the balance? In one area, you're very strong in it. In the other area, you're very weak in it. So what's the right right one? So if we're a little bit honest with ourselves, we realize you know why in imuna and hishtablus, in let's say money, I I push harder is because I you know like the imuna and hishtablus that I have in dating is not really imuna hishtablus. It's laziness, and I'm not interested in that. Here, I'm interested in it. So meaning that. Sometimes we present ourselves with information and we say, yeah, I have a high level of Amunah here. Meaning it has nothing to do with that. One is laziness, one is not. <clears throat> because we have two different pa- wavelengths. So with patience also, sometimes we feel like we have patience in a certain scenario, but really it's not patience. If if you're not, if you don't get uh, uh, anxious, if you don't get like, okay, you're not working on yourself if it comes like simply and easy to you. And in another area, if it, if it becomes difficult to you and you're also not working in it, so you're on the same page, you know, in the same wavelength in both areas. You're just not working. Whatever comes naturally to you. And sometimes you'll have patience with a certain child. And then and other times you won't have patience with your spouse or whatever, you know, and you could start to think up all the excuses. You'll be like, well, you should know better. And they should, you know, all excuse, that's nice and dandy. But you know what? If you don't have that same wavelength of patience with everybody, that means that this is something that you have to work on. This is something that you have to have self and don't start giving excuses into any other, you know, uh, you know, uh, situation where you're saying it's okay. The the root, the uh, a big root of of impatience, the opposite, obviously, of patience, is that we tend to feel like we, you know, we own our fates. We we're the master of our fates. So, like, you know, like, why should I be, you know, impatient? So there was a story with the Briskarov uh, that, in fact. It's funny because this story here is a lot of different variations to the story. But uh, when I read it recently, it was by the Biskarov where he was officiating a wedding. And it was an outdoor wedding. The, uh, well, the chuppah was outdoor. And uh, the chassan was going to put the ring on the on the kala, on the bride. The, the groom was going to put the ring on the bride and it slipped. And, you know, like, oh, my gosh, if it's a Friday wedding, forget about it. There are people throwing salt over there. Who knows? It's not a good luck. It's not working out well. 
And um, the you know they had to go find the ring, and it took them a really long time to find the ring. It was in grass, and it just you know how it is, right? When you drop something that you want to find, somehow it just keeps on going. It's like the Energizer Bunny, right? It's just rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling until finally it was about twenty minutes later, and everyone's frantic, and they finally find it. And the Briskorov looks around and they see that people are uneasy, like, you know, like, you know, is that a sign? <laughs> you know, like, oh, talking about cold feet, right? This is going to come to uh, cold feet to, to an extreme. And the Briskorov, you know, said, and he made, an, he made a short speech and he said, you know, that the there's a time when a person's supposed to get married. We could call the time for the chuppah to be seven sharp and we could be ready for everything and everything is meticulous and the waiters are ready and the catering is ready and the seating is ready. Everybody's sitting every. But if HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes and says, no, they don't get married till 720, guess what? They're not going to get married till 720. So sometimes our impatience is because we feel like, no, we have to do it now because that's what I said. Because I, I made the schedule and it has to be now and it has to be, I have to complete this by a certain period of time. And if we realize that we're not in control, we have to do our efforts. Once we do our efforts, that's it. We have to take a step back. There's no more that we can do. There's no more that we should do sometimes. So when we want to work on our, uh, uh, our patience, it's very interconnected to Emuna and to realizing that everything is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And if you're in a certain situation, then, you know, like, try to be the most patient that you can in that situation. And I can tell you, you know, like, it's not easy. You know, I've, I've, you know, there are certain situations that I am put in quite frequently that I have to really work on myself. And, you know, I can't say I'm successful, you know, all the time, sometimes, truth is, I don't know, maybe I should really look into see what, what my success rate is, but there are things that are very difficult to be successful. There are conversations that I have with people that, oh, you, 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 you know, like without, there are conversations that I have with people that I know after I, I have to wind down. Like I can't, I can't, if somebody, there's certain people, um, and I, it's not anybody that's listening. The people that I, they usually don't listen to, you know, the, uh, this class. Um, so don't think that it's you or if it, because it's really not. Uh, but there's some people that I literally have to take, like, I can't speak to anybody for like, I don't know, like 45 minutes, an hour after that. Like I need to just like wind down. It is such a, and it's, it's like a, such an aggravating, uh, thing. And you have to be, you can't get upset and you have to be relaxed and you have to like there this is not you know like so it's something that that everybody has to work on it's something that no matter where you're dealing with you have to work on and not always will you be successful and sometimes you will fail and sometimes you won't uh, be as successful all the times that doesn't mean that you should stop it but you should realize that if you're put in a certain situation Akadish Baruch will put you in this situation even if you orchestrated it, and even if you did it, but if you are here in this situation, so getting upset, getting impatient, jumping to conclusions, not able to come to, to a sort of a, a relaxed conclusion can very, very often come to a, uh, a, a very, very incorrect conclusion. The Ma'am Laws says on this that if a judge goes and renders judgment too quickly, there are considered three things. Wicked, Arrogant and a fool. And this is based off a different Mishnah in Perkei Elvis in the fourth parak and the seventh Mishnah. Somebody who is frivolous, who hands down, down ruling very, very quickly, is considered fool, wicked, and arrogant. Why? Let's go through them. Why a fool? A fool because he, the man law says, because he overestimates his own knowledge. He thinks he knows it all. Who, who thinks that they know it all? Children 
and arrogant people. <laughs> they think they know they know everything. Right? You tell a child you want to speak to them about something. Uh, you know, as soon as they know, like the ABCs, are like, I, I'm pretty sure I know everything. You can't teach me like anything. I, you know, ABCs and addition. Forget about it. Like I know everything. You know, and and, and then you have the arrogant people you know, who think they know everything. And I've said this before because it's such a it, it it surprises me every time I think of the story and I say it. It always surprises me. Where I was giving a class and I was trying to convince um I was trying to convince this particular person to go to Shiva and he was like, no, I. I did it already. I did the yeshiva. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I figured like you went for like 12 years. How long? A year. And I'm like, a year? I didn't say anything initially. I'm like, a year you can't really get so much. But it, it was within a few moments where he asked me the most simplest question. Like what to make a blessing and a very simple thing. And I was like, so you know, like you don't know anything. If you went through a year and you asked me this question, you obviously don't know anything. And he started smiling and says, yeah, you're right. But initially... When he said that he knows everything, he believed in himself. Like, he didn't come to the conclusion and saying, you know what, like, no, maybe I need to do more. Like, how many of us, we really think we know everything on a certain topic, in a certain scenario, and we're very confident in that, until we're, like, very, very obviously told that, wait a minute, we're not that of a much of a specialist that we thought that we are. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, wait, maybe you're right. Maybe I do need to, you know, learn more, you know, about it. You know, there are times where... <clears throat> I hear uh, people speak, either they speak to me or they speak to other people uh, about a certain su- subject that it, maybe I, I feel like I've learned at, and delved into. And when I hear them and they are so far off, so far off point that, you know, it's like, it's probably, it's, it's a fault in me where I'm like, I can't even bother. Correct. It's like, there's like nothing to discuss over here. It's a really a lack of a patience because really I should sat, sit over there and for 400 times I should repeat it again, and again, but they're so far off the ball and they're so confident what they're saying. They're like, okay, you know, like I, I just like, I can't, I, you know, I can't even, you know, I can't even begin. I don't even know where to begin. So, <clears throat> you know, with that being said, the arrogance, the is is I mean, sorry, being called uh, you're you're considered a fool. You're considered a fool because you think that you know everything. And really, the person that thinks that they know anything and they really don't know anything, that's really a foolish a foolish person. We have to we have to be able to say I don't know. I have to check. I need to ask. You know, like these are very very important qualifications that every human being needs needs to have. Um, I remember once having a conversation with somebody. Oh, you're talking about. Maybe 15, 16 years ago. Um, I don't remember all the details of the conversation, but I remember having the conversation. My wife was with me, um, and we were speaking. It was my wife. I think there was two other couples over there, and there was one guy talking. It was one guy talking. I remember where it was. Now that's, that's not important. There was one guy talking, and he was just, just like saying information. And, and like one of the things, uh, you know, like I tried to correct him because like there was something that I knew of and I'm like, no, you know, you meant something else. And he's like, no, it's this. He was so confident in what he was saying. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, wow, I'm like, I'm not even bothering. Like it was so wrong. Like it was comical. It was sort of, co- it was kind of like funny on how, and, and he thought that he was looking intelligent because he had, you know, the information that he was presenting, but it really, he looked, you know, unfortunately, you know, foolish. Now again, it wasn't a Torah matter, so it didn't, it wasn't like something that, that uh, was of utmost important. It was just a stomach conversation, but it was something that, you know, the more that you think you know about something, and the more, the, the, the less that you, you, pre- you present yourself as if you know something, that's when you look the most foolish. So that's why the, the mam law says, you're considered a fool. You're you're considered a fool if you overestimate your own knowledge. The next thing the man law says is you're considered wicked. 
Why are you considered wicked? And the Rabbeinu Yonah brings this down also in this Mishnah Perkei Abbas, that if somebody rushes to come to a conclusion, they are, and they come to a wrong conclusion, that's negligence. Even if they sincerely wanted to come to the right conclusion. But this type of mistake that you rushed it, that you didn't take the patience to look into it, that's not accidental. That's close to intentional, says Rabbeinu Yonah. And that's why we have to be very, very quickly, we have to constantly remind ourselves not to come to quick decisions because they could be inaccurate, and if they're inaccurate, that's negligence on our part. And that's why the, the male law says the second thing is wicked. The third thing is arrogance. Somebody that considers themselves so great they don't need to review is part of arrogance. Everybody needs to review. Everybody needs to review, no matter how much you've learned and how much you understand a topic, you have to review it. If you don't review it, it, it's, it you lose it. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, tell you a step further. If somebody would ask, uh, you know, let's say you're learning some sort of class on self-improvement. And you have, th- let's say you have three hours a week that you're driving you're, and you're able to listen to class. So the question that maybe would be a right, should I listen to the same class three times or should I listen to three different classes? So, of course, it depends on a few topics, depends on the person, it depends on a few scenario, uh, situations and the person. But many times, if you learn three topics superficially and then one topic just like really well that you memorize it, you know what you need to do, the chances are that you're going to become a better person and you're going to implement those changes are, is if you review that same class three times or that same topic three times. So... When someone gets to the point where they feel they don't need to review, that results in arrogance. That results in a, a, a lack of knowledge, a lack of, of of internalization of the knowledge that you learn. And then you really gain like a percentage. So whenever you learn or read or listen or, or participate in any sort of activity or class, the more that you repeat it, review it, the more that you know it, the more that you have a take away from it. Now, it's very, very important that whenever you're listening to that class, whenever you're learning Torah, whenever you're doing anything, it's so, so important that you have a takeaway. There's something that you should be doing different in your life. If, even if it only lasts a day, right? If by next week you might have forgotten this class completely, but even if it only lasts a day that you are patient for one day, already you gain something. Of course, we should all strive to be able to change our personality for the best in all areas, but at least some sort of takeaway. The more that you listen, the more that you concentrate, the more that you focus, the more that you review, the more takeaway that you're going to have. And I'll give you an example. For everybody that was listening until this point, if you were to pause and stop the class and you were to think about how many takeaways you can you can you can uh, go out? So it would be very simple for anybody that was listening with half a year to know patience, to know not to jump in, uh, to be you know uh, not to jump in into into judgment. But how many people will go and delve it into a step further? Which will be another lesson that you can learn is that when you see someone you know do something. There could be one small piece of information that's missing, and you could cu- you could come to a completely completely different uh, different conclusion. Meaning that you, when we judge other people, we don't know all the aspects. So, how many people are are going to remember that aspect and are going to implement uh, you know implement that? How many people are going to uh, you know think about the reviewing the four times? Like we could go on and on. There's so many little different aspects that let's say you try to teach someone something. And or train someone something and they didn't get it. And whether it's like Kirov or whatever it is, like it's motivational and they didn't get it. And you're like, okay, let me give up. Like and how many times do you don't know that it festers and it grows inside of you? Like there's so many aspects to a very, very simple topic that nuances that we spoke about that you heard of, 
but you didn't internalize it. So the more that you review, the more that you go over it, the more that you're going to be able to uh, internalize it and and uh, you know change. Uh, let's. Ooh, uh, where does the time go? Okay, uh, the, we have to. Oh uh, no, it's getting it's getting late. Let me see over here. No, we have to finish this this topic. I can't, I can't stretch it out for another one. Give, give me a few more minutes. Let's, let's at least finish this this topic over here. So the Chida writes that. He writes of a, of a certain rabbi who knew the you know the entire Shulchan Aruch by heart, right? Like some rabbi, like if the Chidah brings down a rabbi, you know, you're talking about someone on a high level. Um, and Rav Yaakov Hillel quotes the Chidah who quotes who brings down this this other uh, this rabbi, and he said that this rabbi, even though he memorized everything, he would not give a verdict unless he reviews and prior research into his uh, you know looking at things inside. You know, like, even if we know something, and even where we're at something, it always is beneficial to review it. Let, let, let me just, you know, like, go back, and let me look inside, let me make sure that I'm giving the right, the right answer. Now, of course, to each their own, but it just shows you the level of, of being deliberate when presenting information to somebody else. Now, there's another aspect of judgment, and that is uh, being smart. Uh, with the judgment. Chacham Avadiyah brings down three stories on this, uh, three scenarios. Well, the first one is with two people came to Rav Yaakov Lisa, and one of them found the gold coin, and the other one claimed that it was his. So Rav Yaakov sensed that the second one was lying. So he came with an idea to prove to prove the truth. Now, how could he? It has to come to some sort of proof. He can't just you know. He had a sense. He was looking and he was listening to both cases. He was he was, you know, concentrating and being deliberate in both aspects. And he and he realized that there has to, this guy he feels is very wrong, but he has to bring a proof to it. How is he going to bring a proof to it? So he tells both of them to wait outside, and he says he needs to examine the coin. Now he realized that there, one of them, at least the fake, the, is going to be listening in to what the rabbi is, you know, if he's going to be saying anything. And the rabbi realized that that's what's going to happen. So he went near the door and he was examining the, the coin and he was talking to himself. It was talking to himself, but loud enough that other people could be able to hear. And he says, okay, there appears to be a small hole that's engraved in the first letter of the coin. And then he starts quoting the Gemara and Gittin that says that this is a definitive sign uh, for for a coin. And okay, so you know what? Let me go and let me ask them if they know where the sign is. Okay, so he calls both. He said this out loud and he calls both of them back in. And he says, uh, you know, the so one person found it, the second person claimed that it was his, and the second person is who Rabbi Yaakov, you know, sensed that it was wrong. So Rabbi Yaakov goes and says, you said that it's your coin, correct? And he's like, yes. He says, you know, like, is there any signs that maybe you can tell me that will prove that this coin is really yours? And he says, as a matter of fact, there is. There is a small hole on the first, on the top of the first letter in in this coin. And um, Rav Yaakov showed him the coin, and there was no there was no hole. He was he just made it up to see if he would he would fall for it. There was no hole, and he says, "This is really not your coin. This is the coin of the uh, you know the person that that found it." Now, how did he get to this conclusion? Now, sometimes we have to come and we have to see the um, the you know the the truth of the matter, like where where the the correct judgment is. But then we have to take it a step further and be able to present that information in the correct way. Now, if the rabbi would have said, "I don't I don't feel like it's yours. I feel like it's other person," that's not a correct judgment. You have to, you know, bring proof to it. So Rabbi Yaakov put it in a, in a certain scenario where it came out that, oh, you see, he made him feel like he was right, even though he was completely wrong. And that was been able, to, that's the way that he proved him that he was wrong. 
take the, the same scenario a step further of a different story um, where there was an employee of a wine merchant uh, that uh, saved a small per- portion of his wages and over the years and he used to put it he used to hide it in a certain area in the wine cellar and there's been you know after many many years he amassed a large sum of 200 gold coins one friday he went and he put you know, he added money to his hidden pouch, uh, you know, in there in the employer's uh, wine cellar. And after Shabbos, he went to look at it and he realized it was gone. He searched the entire cellar and he couldn't find anything. So he goes over to Rav Shlomo Kluger and he said, you know, I worked so many years. I've saved so much money, all my savings. It's all, the, it's all right here. And, and now it's gone. He says, nobody knows, nobody but the owner knows that I had, you know, the key to the cellar, that I kept the stuff over there, and only him and I have the key, only him and I know that, he, the guy says, I can't prove it, but I feel like he's the one who took it. So the Rav uh, says, okay, call him in. He calls over this owner, and he says, you know, the Rav asked him point blank, so do you know where the money is? He says, the money? I don't know. He completely denied the fact. So the rabbi said to him, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't really suspect you. Like, why would you, such an upright citizen, steal some money from your workers? It didn't make any sense. But then I came to the conclusion that if it wasn't you, so there must have been that a non-Jew broke in to your wine cellar, and he must have stolen it. But the problem is, is that if a non-Jew touches wine, it becomes Yainesach, and you can't sell the wine. You can't, you can't do anything with the wine. So if that's the case, I have to make a proclamation and say that all your wine is forbidden because there must have been a non-Jew in there that, that, uh, you know, touched the wine and then the wine is not usable anymore. So, uh, the, the, this owner said, he goes and he says, no, 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 no. He says, it wasn't, it wasn't on you. It was really me. And, and the rabbi's like, of course you're going to say that. You want to save your wife. But like, I don't believe you. Come on. You're not going to do such a thing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can prove it. And the guy runs home, brings the exact sack and says, you see, here it is. I really took it. It's really, my wine is really okay. Meaning that once he saw how much money he's going to lose, he's like, you know what? This is not worth it anymore. Let me come, let me confess and let me come, uh, let me come clean. So we see over here how the, how the rabbi came to the conclusion in a smart way. He knew the he knew the, the outcome, and he had to had to come to the right uh, to to pre- present the information the right way, so the right conclusion comes out. One final story is where there was a merchant that came before Rabbi Leo Chaim Mizel, and he was a chief rabbi of Lutz in Poland. And he, there was this person that he was on, on a business trip in Poland, in Lutz, and he, uh, after he paid his bill in his hotel, he went to the train to get a ticket. When he got to the train, he realized that he did not have his wallet. So he was trying to think about when was the last time I used his wallet? And he realized it was when he paid his bill for the hotel. So he went back to the hotel and he says, you know, I think I left my wallet over here. And the hotel keeper was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I didn't see any wallet. And, and, you know, like the guy felt like, the the money is there, so he went over to to Rabbi Mezal and he says, you know, like this is a situation. I'm pretty sure this guy, this hotel, is is lying, and he took my money. So the rabbi called this, you know, this hotel owner to come into his office, and um, he started discussing the case. And the this owner said, no, absolutely, I would never take it. And the rabbi said, yeah, 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 you know, like you're right. Um, I believe you. And then as they're talking, this this hotel owner was a very talkative man. He kept on going on and on, and he took out a snuff box and he started, you know, sniffing snuff. And the rabbi says, do you mind if I if I you know take some stuff? And the guy says, yeah. And he's taking, you know, the rabbi's taking some snuff out. And and then the 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 guys keep on talking and talking. Meanwhile, the rabbi calls over his assistant. He calls. He quickly whispers at me. He says, "Take this snuff box. Go to the go to the wife of this person and say, 
this is I, the, your your husband said that I should return the wallet. You should return the wallet of this or this person, and this is the proof. Here's a snuff box. So this man, the 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 um, assistant of the rabbi, he left, and meanwhile the guy didn't realize anything. The guys keep on talking, and this this you know assistant goes to the the hotel. He speaks to the wife. The wife sees the snuff box. It must be this right. Gives him the wallet. He comes back, and the assistant presents the. The information, the you know, the wallet with the snuff box to the you know to to the rabbi, and when the you know when the hotel you know thing you know person saw it, he started puzzling things together, and all of a sudden he came clean. So many times we come to certain conclusions, we have to realize how we're gonna get that outcome to the next level, meaning that we have to be deliberate in judgment. We have to know, you know, how to judge and we have to know, you know, how to come to certain conclusions and how, but, but to take it to the next level, we have to know how to get that right information out there. Whether it is, let's say you come to a certain conclusion and you want to, you want to tell someone something. You have to know how to say it. You have to know how to present the information. You can't just tell some, you know, somebody, you know, like uh, whatever it is that you saw or you heard that you want to get. There's so many nuances that every time that we look at something, we learn something, we can come to so many different conclusions. Now, you could take any subject, and this is what I'm going to leave you off with. There's a little bit more to speak about. We'll leave you off with this. There's so many different things that we have learned, we have, you know, gone through, we have spoken about, you have learned, you take any topic, take patience for an example, meditate on that, different ideas on that, and you'll see on how many things you could come out. So if we are a little bit slower, a little bit more patient, a little bit more deliberate in our life will come, we'll, we'll be able to uncover so many things. So many things we'll be able to, uh, to uncover. Okay, let's open up to some questions and then we'll call it a uh, night. Okay. Oh, not too many questions. Okay. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I hardly, this is a good one. I hardly have any patience during a share anymore, but Zoom shares catch my attention because I know it's live. So thank you so much for doing these classes on Zoom. Oh, Baruch Hashem, I'm happy to hear that and thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us. The, um, you know, just while we're speaking about it, if anybody does want to join us, anybody's listening to this after the fact, you can reach out to me to, to join the WhatsApp group, um, for the weekly Thursday night share. Uh, you can email me at rabbizitron at torahanytime.com. Uh, okay, next question. It seems like one or two more questions left. Okay. Okay. Uh, this might be. Okay, let me let me just read it. You know, a lot because it was a private message. Okay, I spoke to you before. My uh, brother, he's kind of lost. His friend went to yeshiva, came back, and completely became a disbeliever. Went to yeshiva, and came back a disbeliever. He started influencing my brother. My brother went to yeshiva for elementary. He was a believer throughout high school. But I feel like the wrong people have been putting wrong ideas in his mind. Unfortunately more common than we would like to, to be. I personally have been trying to convince my brother with all the resources I have, but I don't think what I am saying is effective. Okay, brother, reach out to you. Absolutely. He recently said he would be open to having a conversation if you would be willing to speak to him. Absolutely. I don't know. I think you do have my number. If not, um, I'll post my number over here. You could, uh, the best is to set up a, uh, like through text message so we could set up a time to, uh, to, to sit and talk. That's my number. You could, uh, you text me. We'll set up a time. Okay, last two more questions. Okay, another group of people for, forgot to mention that no, everything is mothers. Oh, that's true. They have a sixth sense. But that's sometimes like really true. You know, it's like, I don't know, that's something that I, you know, mess. Yeah, it's like a mama beer and a mama. Mama or a mama beer. Okay, 
There's one thing that came up. I'm not familiar with this. What I'm not. I don't understand the question. What do you do if you miss someone? I'm not sure what that is. So you could definitely reach out to me afterwards, and we could discuss it more once I have more clarification on that question. Until next time, thank you all for joining, and may you have an amazing, most successful week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.